I like to be in America. Okay, but be in America. Everything's free in America. For us, my in America. Why? Why did we just sing that song from West Side Story? I don't even know if we ever seen the musical. However, this song I love uh, because it makes me feel American and it makes me remember a beautiful day in September. 1994. 1994, September 26th, the day after this episode is being aired, when we moved to these fine United States. And that was exactly 25 years ago, and we just wanted to commemorate the 25 years that we've spent in this country and the opportunities that America has given us with this wonderful song from West Side Story because it felt like the most appropriate thing to do. Thank you. We were going to do Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, but it's actually an anti-American song because it's protesting uh, the American government during the Vietnam War, if I understand it correctly. But when you heard the song in the beginning, hopefully you imagined us as we little lads in Soviet Belarus singing this song about how much we want to be in America. No, no, we did not uh, actually, did we even realize where we were going? They, they told us you're going to America with us, but we had no choice in the matter. We didn't, but we no. were excited because obviously, you know, not that we really knew much about what America is, but what we did know is that it's a new place <laughs> and apparently there's food in the supermarkets. <laughs> that was a, a benefit. Oh, no. I mean, we definitely gained weight when we first got here because you can get any food you want at any time, something that at least in 1993-94, Soviet Belarus was not the case. The other thing we noticed right away is, my lord, there were so many cars. Now, Sergey and I loved cars when we were little. We used to sit on our grandfather's balcony watching uh, cars drive by the street. They lived on a main street. And the first thing we noticed when we landed was in the parking lot, just thousands and thousands of all sorts of different kinds of cars we've never seen before. We were super excited. Especially the land Jeeps. of opportunity. Yeah. Jeeps and SUVs were like the coolest thing for us. You did not see that many of them in the Soviet Union. And seeing big cars like that just felt really cool, really American. And I don't know, we were just excited to be here. But today, we're going to talk about a topic that is truly American. <laughs> and that is selling it. Now, the most capitalistic thing you can do, I think, is to sell. That's right. This is part two of our series called Sales for Founders 101. And this is going to be about getting meetings. So last week, we talked about kind of an introduction to sales. If you're a first-time founder or a first-time doing sales, or if you're young or older and looking to transition to sales and start a new career, we kind of broke down the different types of direct sales you could do. Today's episode is going to focus on the next step. Once you're ready, once you understand, I want to do some selling, how do you actually get interest and how do you get meetings? Now, of course, there's a lot of different ways you can generate interest and business for your company. Marketing is a really deep topic. We can dive into various, various different tentacles of the topic in future episodes. We could do a whole dozens of episodes about that alone. But today is going to be focused specifically on getting meetings for founders. In other words, when you're an early stage startup founder doing it for the first time, how do you actually generate interest in meetings relatively cheaply or inexpensively? And if you listen to the show, you know one thing, hopefully, for sure, is that we focus on the critical early days. We focus on what you can do as a person that wants to start a company in that first year when you don't have a lot of money, resources, connections, or any money, resources, and connections. And that's part of the reason why we love talking about sales 
is because once you learn it, that is something, a skill that you have to generate opportunities for yourself. And we love talking about what are the things you can do as a founder that are free or very, very cheap to build momentum on that business idea that you have. Now, if you're mentally kind of anti-sales, you don't want to do sales, or you're the type of person that thinks there's just much easier ways to generate revenue for your business without having to do some of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, that's totally fine. If you're good at it and that fits your business model, we're not saying anything against that. But that's just not the focus of this particular episode. This particular episode is designed to help the people that want to get traction quickly without having to rely on anyone or anything and without having to wait any time. This is something you could start doing right now after you listen to this episode. Now, if you have some ideas about some other specific area that you want us to cover in this show about sales or even later on about marketing, here is an opportunity to do so. We mentioned this last week, but we are this week, again, asking for our listeners, anybody that has listened to the show for really more than one episode, to reach out to us at info at thementors.co to see if you'd be willing to talk to us for about 15, 20 minutes to get feedback on the show. We're always trying to improve the show. We're trying to make it better for you. We want to make sure that we understand exactly what value you want to get when you're listening to The Mentors. And so we're setting up calls with a lot of our listeners. By the way, shout out to Tia in Amsterdam and Dimitri in New York, who we spoke to this week. Thank you so much, folks, for taking time to speak with us and giving us such great feedback about the show and what you love about it, what you want to see more of. So please email us, info at thementors.co. We'll schedule a conversation with you for 20 minutes to get your feedback. And we'll even spend a few minutes in the end of the call. We'll leave room for 10 more minutes to talk about any particular problem, business issue, or anything that you want to talk about uh, so that you also get value from the call. And we've really been enjoying these conversations. It's so nice to connect with people that are listening to us on a weekly basis that we don't get to talk to. It's actually really fun for us, and we're looking forward to doing the same with you. One other ask for this episode. If you find value in anything that you hear today, do us one favor and share the episode. Here's the best way to share. If you use Instagram, for example, just take a screenshot of you listening to the episode. So if you're listening in iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to and just share it in Instagram in a story or whatever makes sense for you and tag The Mentors Podcast, that's our Instagram handle, and then tag your friend that might benefit from the episode. We'd find it hugely, hugely valuable and uh, hopefully it could spread a little bit of awareness about some of the advice that we're providing on this episode. So let's get right into it. We're going to talk about sales from the founder perspective. How do you actually get meetings? How do you actually create those opportunities to actually have a transaction happen for whatever idea or business that you're trying to sell? The three things that we're going to be talking about in this episode are cold emailing, networking, and cold calling. And we're actually saving cold calling towards the end of the episode because Sergey and I are going to do a role play exercise where you'll actually hear us go through an, what an actual cold call would sound like. So one question that you probably have heard us ask founders that come on our show is, once you had your idea, what was the very first thing that you did? 
So let's talk about the few very first things that you can do in terms of sales. Low-hanging fruit, that's something Vadim and I talk about a lot because it's easier to build momentum from something that's easier to do. So how do you basically not let yourself not move forward with an idea or a business you want to test? The first best way to do that is to reach out to people you might know in whatever industry or sector or type of company that you're trying to sell into or that you want to provide value to through your uh, business idea, whether it's a service or a product, reach out to your friends and family first and tell them about what you're working on and ask them to introductions to others who might benefit from it. Notice you're not asking them to buy your thing. You're not selling them anything. You're just asking them to introductions to others. They know you, they trust you. They're the most likely to be able to take a chance on you, a reputational risk by introducing them to somebody that they know. If you listen to the guests that come on our show, something that happens very often when we talk about their early stories and ask them, how'd you get your first initial deals or interest? Almost always it's through some personal contact or somebody that knows somebody that they know, right? It's two degrees of separation away. Quite frankly, it's the smart thing to do. If you have that network, you should activate it. You shouldn't be afraid to go to those people. Uh, Another thing is, And the other day, it just gives you an unfair advantage over other people that are in the same stage trying to do the same exact thing. Startups are all about de-risking as quickly as possible the opportunity that you're going after. And any competitive advantage that you can have early on, you should use. And so you might say now, what if I don't know anybody? Or what if I don't have an extended network? Well, first of all, I would say you could probably dig a little bit. You probably do know someone. You might have some classmates you went to school with uh, from high school or college, people that you met through work, through previous jobs. There's probably already a group of people that you know that might know someone who could be helpful to you or who could benefit from what you're offering. But let's say we ran out of all those people. What do we do now? Well, the best way to solve the problem of not knowing anyone is by showing up to places where people are, the type of people that you want to meet, and actually start getting to know people. We talk a lot on the show about networking. We talked about how to network like a pickup artist just last week. And you should listen to that episode to get some ideas about how to approach people and and, uh, get to know them. But by showing up to places where the people who you want to get in front of already are, that is a a soft way to make those relationships that you can later convert into business relationships. And we talked about this with Andrew Glincher, CEO of one of the biggest law firms in America, Nixon Peabody. He talks about how he generates business or how he used to generate business back in the day when he did more sales by doing things like volunteering in a soup kitchen where he wasn't selling legal services. He would just tell people what he does for a living and because they liked him and had a good experience with him, volunteering with him, they would become clients of his. And a few other recent examples of entrepreneurs that I advise, I advise this company that's building an augmented reality solution and a lot of their clients are furniture companies. And so they just made a list of events in the city where the new owners of furniture companies would go, where they're likely to show up. Now, some of these are paid events like conferences and things like that. If if it's a little bit of capital you have to spend to get in, that's fine. Obviously, some of them are prohibitively expensive at an early stage. Maybe you punt on that, like a trade show, for example. But in the beginning, there's most likely other smaller events 
where your audience is spending their time. You can very easily make a list of those through meetup.com, Eventbrite, Facebook events. And of course, it depends on whether you're in a big enough city where there's events happening consistently. But even if you're in a small city, there's probably a chamber of commerce meeting happening of some sort or a group of innovators meet happening or meeting of some sort, maybe at a university, right? A lot of universities host events sometimes that are open to the public. A quick anecdote, though, Vadim just mentioned that trade shows can be expensive. And that is true. Oftentimes, trade shows and going to conferences is a strategy that we don't recommend until later on when you actually have established your brand and your product. But there was a company that I was advising a couple of years ago that had a product for the food services industry. Even though they spent the first six months going door to door to restaurants trying to sell to them, they actually saw even more traction a couple months later once they had a basic prototype going to conferences. And they would email the organizers. They would say, please, can we just go to the conference? We'll volunteer for half the time. We'd love to go because we're a startup and we're trying to meet these X kind of people. And most of the time they would get a free pass. Sometimes you can offer to write a a blog post and that counts as press essentially if you have any kind of following and they'll offer for you to come for free. I will say that usually if you're gonna go to events like that where there's gonna be a lot of really focused industry people who could really become your customers, I would have something impressive that you could share with them or show them or something about you that they're gonna want to follow up with you. So whether it's a prototype, whether you just have some really interesting and relevant experience based on what service or whatever you're selling to them now, come prepared with something specific that you can convert them on or entice them on to get a meeting afterwards. But could be a very good way to network. Yeah, another company I recently advised, they were building an influencer marketing solution and they started finding events in the city where a lot of brands went to meet people from agencies. And so they injected themselves into these events, met a bunch of people from brands, and then followed up with them after the event and actually secured several meetings just by going to these one-off events. But look, when you're going to these events, you're going to have to make the approach, like we talk about in the How to Network Like a Pickup Artist episode. You're going to have to come up to people and get comfortable with building those relationships. If you want more advice on how to have a compelling conversation and actually communicate value when you're talking about yourself, go back and listen to our episode number 98, How to Pitch Anyone in 30 Seconds. There we really break down the details of what a successful elevator pitch can look like when you're at events like this. But the other most important thing is once you do connect with somebody, always follow up right after the meeting and continue to follow up until there's a next step. A lot of people give up way too quickly. And if you did the difficult work of meeting somebody, then you should do the difficult work of following through. And so now you might say, great, I have events scheduled out for the next couple of months. I'm going to go, I'm going to meet people, I'm going to play the long game. But I want to see results now. I want to get meetings now for my idea. I already have the service that I want to sell. You know, I'm I'm still perfecting it, but I'm ready to start pitching it to people and see if I can close them. How do I get those meetings now? Uh, First of all, you're a little bit impatient, but we like that because we're just like that. So the next thing we want to talk about is email how to write emails, cold emails, cold approaches. We're gonna talk about email and phone calls actually. Cold approaches to getting people to respond to you and getting meetings that can then result in a sale. Before we touch on cold emailing, three episodes that you should go back to listen to that go into much more detail that we can cover in this one episode. First of all, episode number 39, the five minute pick me up that talks about starting a revenue generating training business in three weeks. 
There we talk about the setup to schedule a bunch of meetings that eventually got us revenue in just a few weeks, thousands of dollars worth of revenue. And then the follow-up episode to that, episode 51, another five-minute pick-me-up, the email that got us the meeting. We break down the exact email that we used to schedule a bunch of those meetings, which is exactly what this episode is about. And then the other sort of last episode that you should go back to listen to episode 15, how to get the attention of important people, really breaks down how to pique somebody's interest and get them to respond. So you can find this just by scrolling through any podcast app or Spotify or whatever app you use. And you can find these are going to be slightly older episodes, so you might have to scroll a bit. The other way is to go on our website and there is in the header a section called episodes and they're numbered and you can just go in there and you'll find exactly the episode. It's a little bit easier to find on thementors.co or just use the search box at the bottom of the website. Okay, so quick breakdown of how to send effective emails or how to think about sending effective emails. First of all, don't forget the subject line. It's the most important part in the very beginning. You have to get people to open the cold email that you're sending. So make sure it's compelling. It doesn't sound spammy. Uh, It's not too vague. It either creates some kind of curiosity from the person that's reading it and gets them to click because they're curious or provides value and utility in the subject alone. And I do want to back up just one second because I can already hear someone saying, wait a minute, who am I emailing? (laughs) How do I actually make this list of people that I'm emailing? There's a couple of different ways to do that. You can add people on LinkedIn. You can make a list of companies and even try to guess people's email addresses. If you're, for example, reaching out to startup CEOs, it's pretty easy to guess their email addresses. It's usually first name at company dot whatever. But there's other ways to do that. There are tools that you can use to actually look up people's information contact databases like ZoomInfo is one that people use sometimes. There's also uh, email validation and verification tools. There's tools that sit on top of like browser extensions that sit on top of LinkedIn and help you get people's contact information. You can outsource that as well and help lead generation experts actually generate those contacts for you. There's a bunch of different ways to do that. Yeah, outsourcing, I will say, if you do the outsourcing route, which we have done, you know, hiring somebody on a website like Upwork, for example, to see if they can generate leads for you. Be very specific about what you want. Say exactly the industries, the titles of people that you want, size of company that you want. And you might have to go through a few people that maybe charge 10 bucks an hour. You'll maybe spend 50, $75 or so to generate a list of, I don't know, 20, 30 people, for example. You'll go through a few people, but eventually you'll find, you can find someone who can actually has access to these contact databases who'll find the emails for you. And then all you have to do is actually send them. Going back to the actual email itself, get the email subject right, something like interested in speaking or speaking to other companies that are like yours, right? Or something else, even saying introduction and putting your name and the name of the person or the name of the other company can work in terms of getting somebody's curiosity. Don't try to be too clickbaity or spammy or pull the rug from under somebody. People can see through the BS. Do try to be sincere, but at the same time, your goal in the subject line is only to get the email opened. And when it comes to the body of the email, again, we urge you to listen to that episode about how to get the attention of important people because we break this down in detail. But there's just a few things you should remember for the body of the email. Number one, try to put yourself in the shoes of the person that is receiving the email. They are thinking about 
this email. They don't know who you are. It probably looks like it's going to be work that they have to do, right? It just make it might make them feel negative initially. So your job is to break through that feeling and make them either excited or curious or interested or impressed by you and wanting to respond. So you have to a create some sort of credibility about yourself or say something compelling about yourself or what you do that is going to get them excited. But more importantly, you have to think about what is going to be valuable to them. What problem are you solving for them? What's top of mind for them? You're obviously guessing, but what potentially is top of mind for them that's going to get them to actually reply? It's not about you. It's not about your features or your product. That's boring. That's not exciting. They get pitched every day. It's about how you can solve their problems uniquely. And by building credibility, you can sometimes accomplish that. So actually, there are studies that are done about this. People that use I in their email more get less responses than people that use you in their emails. So even that alone is important to consider. People care about themselves. So that's called the with them, what's in it for me, in this case, what's in it for them. Do put yourself in their shoes. But also remember, you're not selling in this email. You're simply trying to pique curiosity and get that meeting. That's your only goal. So the main takeaway for sending cold emails, and again, do listen to the other episodes to get more detail, is err on the side of keeping things as brief as possible and being direct and going for the ask relatively quickly and giving them an actual way to respond and act easily without too much friction. Yeah, again, people perceive email and feel about email like it's work. Make it as easy as possible for them to respond to you. Be very direct, say exactly who you are. Hopefully you can build credibility while you're doing it. Tell them exactly what you want from them, not 10 things you want from them, but what is the one thing that you want for them to help them maybe avoid decision paralysis on on how they can potentially help you. Give them what one thing and tell them exactly how they can act in order to engage with you, to speak with you on the phone, you know, whatever it might be, but be very specific and have that ask, have that question mark in the end. And Vadim and I actually have noticed when we write emails where there's a question mark in the end of the email or close to the end of the email, we have a much higher likelihood of getting a response because when you have a question mark versus a statement, some people feel compelled to reply, to close the loop versus a statement, you kind of, they might just leave it hanging. So don't forget to be direct first and foremost and be brief to save people time and you're already gonna increase the likelihood of getting a response from somebody to talk to them on the phone or whatever it might be by, I would say, tenfold. Okay, so the last topic we're gonna talk about is probably the scariest for most people, even still for me. It's something that I don't particularly enjoy doing, but it is a way to get traction really quickly. Again, if you don't want to wait for anybody to give you permission, if you don't want to wait to generate that interest, if you wanna do it today, you got to make the calls. You have to pick up the phone and make the calls. And sometimes it could be a warm-ish call. You sent a bunch of emails and you're picking up the phone now and diligently following up with a phone call to every single person that you emailed. That is a very good tactic to generate a bunch of meetings. But right now we're going to talk about something that's completely purely cold. You've never interacted with this person. This is the first time you're reaching out. And we thought the best way to do that is to actually go through a little role play scenario of what a cold call might sound like. And some people, there's sort of endless arguments about is cold calling dead? Can you even do it in the world of you know social networking? Do people even talk on the phone? This argument, I find there's no point in having it. It works well for some businesses and for some other businesses, it doesn't work very well. But I'll tell you why it's a useful skill to anybody. Nothing can give you results faster than actually connecting with somebody on the phone or live, agreeing that there's a potential need that they have and 
convincing them that you can fill that need, nothing will make things happen faster than actually doing it on the phone. So it's worth to try and see if that could work for your business. Okay, so right now we're gonna do a role-playing scenario. Now, mind you, this is completely improvised. We, the only thing that we prepared is what we're sharing with you right now, which is the setting for the role-play. I don't know what I'm gonna say. Sergey does not know how he's gonna respond. I will be the person that's making the cold call. Sergey will be the person that's receiving the call. Uh, and I'll be a salesperson, actually. I'm gonna recreate the conversation just to keep a thread going from the last episode that I would have at Yodel if I'm picking up the phone trying to sell search engine optimization or search engine marketing tools to business owners. And in this particular scenario, the small business owner is a bankruptcy attorney. Sergey Revson, attorney at law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Esquire. Esquire, Esquire. I, I prefer. And okay. he's gonna be that cocky. No, we'll see, okay. And then after we do the role play, we're going to break down how that went. So please don't judge us if this goes really poorly. Hope not. Well, it'll be fine for me because I'm uh, the one receiving the call, right? Right. So we'll see how much I mess up. Okay. Let's see. Hello? Hi, is this Michael? Uh, Yes. Who is this? Hey, Michael. My name is Vadim. Um, I just wanted to see if you have a few minutes to chat. I noticed that you set up your law firm relatively recently, and we're actually working with bankruptcy attorneys uh, in the Manhattan area to get them filings when they're first starting up. Uh, Yeah, listen, I got got to tell you, I'm really busy today. I have like 10 more meetings today. I don't know if I, I don't think I have time for this. Totally understand. Uh, I I respect your time. Do you think you'd be interested in in at least learning about what uh, some of our new clients, so we have a gentleman actually in Brooklyn that's only focusing on Chapter 11 bankruptcies, uh, and he started off about two months ago, and he's already getting three filings a week from us. If you don't have time right now, I'd love to schedule a call maybe later in the week where I can walk you through how they're able to do that through our system. You guys are working with somebody in Brooklyn on this? Yeah, Brooklyn is one of the locations. Who are you working with? Do I know them? Uh, you might not know them. I don't know. Uh, so it's a relatively new attorney, attorney John Mack. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you said you, you're, you're, what are you, how much are you driving for them? What do you, what exactly are you doing for them? Sure. So try to be as brief as possible because I really have to go. Yeah, absolutely. We're essentially a tech marketing platform for small businesses. That's really easy to use and with a relatively low budget. Uh, you can even test it out for one month. You can start seeing if there's a way for you to hyper-local target the customers that will ultimately end up coming to you anyways, and they're not finding you now because uh, you still don't have the web presence established. Are you currently doing anything to market your business, or are you mainly going through referrals? Well, of course, I'm, I mean, I'm doing everything. I'm doing Google ads. I'm doing uh, sometimes LinkedIn ads. I go to conferences. I'm doing everything just like everybody else. No, of course. Um, have you found any of those things more effective than other things like the paid marketing, for example, Google and LinkedIn? What's been working for you? And is it something that you feel like you have a good handle of? I mean, I feel like it's working okay. I, I don't know if I'm doing it better than anybody else. It seems to be working fine. I get... You know, I get uh, about one or two leads a week, so I guess that's probably pretty good. Well, do you think it'd be valuable for you? At the very least, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper and learn about your strategy. Um, But do you think it'd be valuable for you to go from one to two to four to six leads a week with the same budget that you're using now? Well, with the same budget? Sure. I mean, why not? 
One of the things that our technology does is it automatically optimizes the keywords to make sure that you're not spending money in the areas that uh, you shouldn't be spending money in anyways. And so it's a more effective way to run your paid campaigns. If you have 10 minutes tomorrow or later this week, I'd love to walk you through our process and also learn more about what you're doing to at least give you some suggestions for how you can improve it. But I can also pull up our platform right now. If you do have 15 minutes or so, I can walk you through it now. If you can do it in 15 minutes, then then yeah, give me the link. How can I see it? Okay, great. Are you in front of a computer? Yep. All right, wow, yes, he's gonna get on the demo with me and there's gonna be many other ways that I can mess up that demo. But hey, practice makes progress and if I practice that demo many, many different times, I'm gonna be pretty comfortable delivering this one because I've done it before. So let's break it down. Let's talk about why Vadim was successful in converting this relatively grumpy attorney to actually do a demo right then. The couple of things that he did. So the first thing, Vadim, that I noticed you did was you didn't, ask me, hi, how are you doing, sir? Or basically just saying things that are empty or not adding value just to waste time, right? Because you knew that you had to offer value immediately in the first statement, give me context if you're gonna keep me on the phone. You had to get my attention right away. Introducing yourself, saying your name even, is probably even a waste of time when you're just trying to get somebody's attention in that first couple of seconds. Exactly, now I did say my name, I do think that you're talking to another human and it's okay to be personal in that sense, but I first, before I said my name, I confirmed that the person that I was calling was the person that I'm trying to reach, right, my target. And it was, it was Michael. And once he said that, I quickly said my name, but then got to the point because after about 10, 15 seconds, a lot of people will hang up. And if there's zero hint of value offered in that 15 seconds, then you're probably going to lose them. The other thing that you did that I thought was actually pretty crafty is that even though I was trying to get off the phone in the beginning, you hooked me by offering some credibility in, again, that next sentence that you said when I was trying to get off the phone when I said I was busy, which is you mentioned you were working with an attorney in Brooklyn. Presumably, you're calling me who is in New York, so I might be compelled because you're working with another attorney in Brooklyn, and so should I be knowing what my competitor is doing? There's that little nugget of credibility and value you're building by making me intrigued enough to want to ask for more, maybe at least stay on the phone for a little bit by offering that to me. Exactly, credibility, value, and of course the almighty fear of missing out. If you're doing this for somebody else like me, then maybe you should be doing it for me. And in the end of the day, business owners are competitive, and so if somebody else has a competitive edge, they're gonna wanna know what they're doing. But the other takeaway there is you have to keep things relevant. I specifically showed that I know what I'm talking about by mentioning chapter 11 bankruptcy, right? That's only something that you can do if you're a domain expert. So before you actually call somebody and try to get their business, make sure you understand their business and how they work. That's gonna come off in the conversation. People can tell if you're not sincere or if you're bullshitting them. And the third thing that you did, again, so, so important, and the best salespeople in the world are really, really good at this part, is keeping the person on the phone. And the way you did that is by not only making a statement, offering some explanation or value about what the product can do or what you're doing with that other attorney, but then following it up with a question so you can dig deeper. So even if I'm being a little bit resistant, if you ask a very specific question, there's a higher likelihood that you're gonna keep me on the phone and get me to reveal more information that then you can use to try to progress the conversation forward. Now. I'm not the best salesperson in the world, and if you have feedback, please email us at info at I'd love to hear other suggestions for how you could be better at cold calling, 
but even these few suggestions should make you that much better and certainly better than somebody that says, hi, my name is Vadim. I'm calling from Network Solutions and um, uh, I'd like to talk to you about uh, how we're doing online marketing for these other companies. I mean, that just sounds bland and boring and you're not having a real conversation with a real person. In the end of the day, you have to connect with them somehow. And the more you do this, the better you become at it because you realize, you know what, I'm just building a relationship. It just happens to be with somebody that doesn't know me. And it's not easy. We're not trying to discount how difficult it is to sound natural when you're trying to keep these things in mind and offer value and you know try to add these credibility hooks. Sometimes in the beginning when you're doing these things, they might feel unnatural. But the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better your delivery is going to be. And when I started off in sales selling this exact product, I'm actually surprised that I remember even a lot of these things. It was a long time ago. But I had a script. I literally had a script of openers. In other words, what's the very first thing that's out of my mouth? or three things, like pick pick one, choose your own adventure. And then also I had a script that told me what to say in different scenarios or what to say when I'm actually running a demo to make sure that I'm building that interest and doing the needs analysis and increasing the chance of somebody actually buying whatever it is I'm selling. We're going to talk about that in next week's episode, how to actually close the deal. So cool your jets there. We'll dive much deeper into that. But hopefully, this was able to give you some context and some tools to be comfortable with starting off with networking, cold emailing, and cold calling to generate business right now if you don't have other resources or you don't want to wait to see results from a marketing campaign, for example. And I will also say that the script idea that Vadim mentioned, you can also list a bunch of the questions that you could potentially ask so you don't rely on chance that you'll magically come up with great questions. With practice, you will, but why leave it to chance in the beginning when you're first starting out? Have a bunch of different questions, maybe five to 10 questions that you can pull out of your arsenal to ask at any given point in time when there's a lull in conversation if you're just trying to move that conversation forward. Yeah, so what could come up in the conversation? Sergey asked me, oh, who's the other lawyer that you're talking to? I wasn't really ready for that answer, but maybe next time I'll have really specific answers to that because now I know this is what this person might ask me, the holes that he might poke in my conversation when I'm trying to book that meeting. Keep track of these things. If you don't get it right on this call, remember, hopefully you're doing 40, 50 calls that day and one failed call means nothing. You're one step closer to a successful phone call. So sales is hard. We know it. And when you try it, you're going to realize how hard it is as well. But as a founder, that is one of the things that you have the most control over, especially in the early days of the company when you're trying to generate interest. So hopefully some of these tips actually can help you get a little bit more comfortable with the intense discomfort that comes with actually approaching people, calling them cold and emailing them a cold because you're doing it out of a place of trying to offer value to them. And if you focus on that, you will get better at it. And remember, it's not all pain. When you're successful in sales, when you get that meeting or you start booking meetings in a consistent manner, when you start closing deals, it's incredibly rewarding. It feels really good. It's euphoric even. So look forward to those moments and do the hard work. It'll be worth it. That's it for this week's episode of Sales for Founders 101, and we'll see you on Monday.